If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. Hey, friends, and welcome to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm so glad you're here. Each week on this show, I invite a girlfriend to join me, and we chat about the big things in life, the little things in life, and everything in between. Hey friends, I don't know how it happened so quickly, but here we are. We're at the end of June. I know this month, really the past several months, for many of us in the United States has been full of so many emotions, information, and so many great discussions around difficult topics. I'm proud of so many of you for digging in to listen and to learn and to leverage your spaces. I think today's happy hour conversation will be helpful in looking at what it looks like to stay engaged to keep pressing into the places that God is bringing to the surface. My guest today is Angelie Paschal. Angelie is a mom to five kids, ranging from potty training to puberty. She married her husband, Sam, over 14 years ago, although they've been friends since childhood. We talk about the balance her family has found in the season of coronavirus life and how we are hoping to keep the slower pace into our future non-corona life. Angelie shares with us about the importance to stay in the yucky feelings that we may feel, no matter how difficult they may be to go into those places that we sometimes hide underneath our busyness and find the people that we can share that with. She and I also talk about what it has looked like for her to slow down and get to know herself in a place where she's not constantly producing and producing. I think the takeaways from time with Angelie are so important in our current state of digging into the places of implicit bias and racism that we can carry deep in our own hearts and minds. I'm grateful that we connected and I'm grateful we get to share this conversation with you at this time. A couple of weeks ago, I was able to zoom in with a group of moms in Michigan for a special teaching session. And man, I have missed so much being with women around the world, encouraging them with the truth of God's word. When I met with them, I spoke about that we need to fight the lies that keep us from believing that our stories matter. I talked about one of my favorite women in the Bible from John chapter four, and I've seen stories change the world. The woman in John chapter four, her story changed the world, and I really truly believe that your story matters as well, and that God wants to use you to influence your world right where you are every single day. You matter. This is why we created the virtual Bible study called Your Story Matters. I wanted to create a space and a curriculum that women could walk through individually and in a group to fight off some of those lies that often keep us from sharing our stories. And what I mean by sharing our stories is sharing what God has done in our worlds. Check out jamieivy.com slash yourstorymatters for all of the details. It's a virtual study and it's available all the time for you to purchase and walk through any time that works for your life. Next week, we're gonna launch a second round of Your Story Matters, inviting women to join together, even in a time where we are social distancing and joining together looks different depending on where you live. But so many of you, so many of us are still craving community. The timing is perfect for college girls, students, working mamas, working women, anyone to take time to rest and dive into God's word before the fullness of a fall semester starts back up. Join this community and grow together to remember 
that your story really does matter. Visit jamieivy.com slash your story matters. Here is my conversation with Anjali. Anjali, welcome to the happy hour. Yeah, Jamie, thanks for having me on. It's so great to be here. Well, I'm happy to be with you on this happy hour. I love Austin, Texas so much. I think it's just the you know best city in the world. But you live in a pretty rad place that if I wouldn't be in Austin, I'd love to be where you are. Oh, it is pretty amazing. Uh, if you could see what I'm looking at right now, I'm looking at sunshine and my kids jumping in the pool. So it's, oh. I'm not going to complain. San Diego, San Diego is pretty incredible. Every time we have, every like five times a year that we have the best weather ever, I go, this reminds me of San Diego. My grandparents used to live in San Diego. They're both with Jesus now, but they used to live in San Diego. And so we would come to San Diego, Poway area all the time when I was growing up. Yep. Yes. I'm right next to Poway. It's amazing. Such a great place. Well, it's fun to have you on the happy hour. Finally, will you introduce yourself to all the listeners? Tell them about Tell about your life and your kids and why you live in San Diego. Yeah, Jamie, it's good to be here. Well, I'm a mom to five. I have five kids starting from 13 to two years old. Um, so I'm potty training and I'm talking about all the puberty stuff, which Lord this help is me. a lot. Yes. Woo. And my husband passes a church and we live in San Diego. We actually grew up in San Diego. We were kids playing on the playground together, fell in love after college. And we really have a heart to help. Well, for me, I have a heart to help women grow in their love and relationship with Jesus. And not just knowing God's love in their head, but knowing it in their hearts. And so, yeah, I partial homeschool and I write for Encourage and I get to just cheer on women as they grow in love with Jesus. What a great gig you've got going on there then. Okay. You said you partial homeschool. Explain that to me. Yeah. So that's pretty big here. So my kids normally, when it's not coronavirus, go to school Tuesday, Thursdays, and they are home with me Monday, Wednesday, Fridays. So they're getting like, it's like a co-op that they go to. Well, co-op, but yeah, it's a classroom. So, you know, they're there eight to three and teachers in the classroom do a lot of the work there. And then at home, I kind of just come beside them and encourage them and bribe them most of the time to just keep doing the next problem. (laughs) I love it so much. You know, here is the, let me tell you a little funny something. I love homeschooling and it's nothing that God's ever asked us to do, but I'm not like against homeschooling by any means, but I was telling Aaron recently, my husband, I was like, you know, I think I'm going to maybe think about taking story out for her eighth grade year in homeschooling her. And he looked at me like I had lost my like mind, like literally you have gone crazy. And I knew it sounded crazy, but I just, you know, said it anyways and then coronavirus came and we've been doing this homeschool thing. And literally, Angela, uh, like a week in, I looked at him and I said, do you remember what I said to you like a month ago about homeschool? And he's like, yeah, I remember. I was like, uh, I heard God. This is not this. Would, that is, this is not anything that's ever on the table ever again. So it's kind of funny. But I do have a friend who pulled all her kids out in eighth grade and spent the year with them and loved it. And so I'm probably not going to do that. But I love the what she would always talk about how she came how she just loved that year that she had with her kids. No, isn't that so funny? A lot of times that's how it is with homeschool or making that decision. It's like you see other people and then you think could I do that? And then you, yeah, then there's these moments of a wake up call where it's like, no, I could yeah. not dissect yeah. a frog. No, I'm I know. Not. Yeah. 
I think it's amazing. I don't think that that is where God has called our family by any means. But I'll tell you what, uh, your oldest is 13. My oldest is 16. He is finishing up his sophomore year of high school. And we're full disclosure, we're recording this in April. We're smack dab in the middle of self-quarantine and coronavirus, COVID-19. And I had a thought last night at dinner. I thought he's basically finished with his sophomore year. I mean, we're done. We're not going back to school. And then two more years and then my baby's gone and I could just cry at the think at the thought of that. So, you know, I, I think it's interesting to think through what this self-quarantine coronavirus has kind of brought out in us. For me, I've loved the time I've had, even though I come over to my office every day and I work, I still am having more time with my kids than I have ever have because of their activities and life and everything that my life and all those things combined. So what about you? What has been this kind of silver lining? You would not have experienced this had we not been in this moment in time right now. What are you seeing that in your house? Well, you know what's surprising is I feel like my kids are getting along better. Oh, that's great. Which is surprising. And I think that is in part me because when you have so many practices and so many events and you're driving constantly, it's like there is a pressure and a push and a hustle to go, go, go. And so I'm short and irritable and angry because it's like, get your shoe. Why are you still half dressed? Like, come on, like grab your backpack. And I'm not doing any of that because, you know, there's nowhere to go. And so anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. And so honestly, I think that trickles down to the kids, like, because I'm not as irritable, like they're not as irritable. And I think that's like, how can I sustain this forever? Right. I know that's so interesting. I haven't thought about that till you just said that. And it is true. Normally, you know, come four o'clock, it is like, crazy town until 10 o'clock, you know, even if it's just dinner and then picking up a kid from rehearsal, then practice, it's just always crazy. And it's interesting. I'm not as frazzled because of all the things we have to do, because literally there's nothing on our family calendar, like nothing. <laughs> like we have cat, we use, we share an iCal and Aaron's is blue, mine's purple. And the family calendar is green. Like there's nothing on the family calendar. And I don't think I've ever seen that in my entire life. I know. I kind of love it. Do you? I, I love it. Um, I do like it a lot. I, I mean, I miss a lot of things that aren't here right now, but I also think that as much as I think it's okay to miss what is not here. I'm also seeing an awakening about how beautiful it is when we get these moments to slow down. And so I think I don't want to miss that. I don't want to miss the fact that I can slow down and the world keeps spinning. Ironic, isn't it? How is right? that But it's true. Wow, right? Yes. Yeah, I know because we have this kind of false sense that if we were to not do this or we were to say no to these things or we were to pull our kids out of, you know, 15 sports at a time, we think that everything would stop. And we're learning right now that it actually keeps going. Yeah, it's kind of amazing. It's really made me reevaluate what I want to say yes and what I want to say good. no to. And I find I'm starting to say no. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I'm, you know, it's like identifying the right yes and the right no. And I feel like I'm, I don't think I would have found that courage to say no to things mm-hmm. had I not stopped and realized, wow, I cannot believe how much I was pushing before. Yeah. Oh, I mean, those are blessings to think about that we can sit back and go, okay, God, you have shown us kind of opened up our eyes a little bit to the things that we can pull back on whenever we get to go back in. Yeah. Yeah. So great. So great. Okay. Mom to five, husband's a pastor. 
you told me, I'm not putting words in your mouth, that your last child was a little kind of surprised, should we say? Yes. The best surprise ever? The best surprise ever. We call her our encore baby, where it's that moment where maybe God was like, they need more. They're doing such a great job. Let's just give them another one. (laughs) So yeah, she's our sweet encore baby. I love that so much. Is your oldest a boy or a girl? Boy. So two boys, three girls. Okay. In that order? Yep. Okay. There we go. So you released a book at the end of March this year, and it's called Stay, uh, Discovering Grace, Freedom, and Wholeness, Where You Never Imagined Looking. And I'd love to talk with you about just this the concepts that drove you to write this book, first of all. Let's just start there. What was the the driving force behind you wanting to write a book about staying? Sure. Well, I actually wrote the book about seven years ago. And it was when I was in the thick of like little, little babies. And I had gone through in my early 20s, like 24, I came to a place where I was so broken. Like I knew I was like in seminary and I was working at a church. I was like doing all the great right things that Christians should do. And yet I was so miserable inside. And so I had this opportunity to go on a three-week isolated retreat where imagine what this is. Like I'm on an island off the coast of Washington all by myself no internet, no phone, no exercise, no music, literally alone. And I was the kind of girl who ran, 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 like busy. So I went into this retreat completely terrified. And yet this experience of staying with myself, like my closet of darkness, my skeletons, my fears, my anger, it radically transformed who I was and my understanding of God's love. And so I think that really propelled me into this path of what, how do I stay even when I'm not in a cabin, mm-hmm. you know, in lockdown yeah. really, yeah. and um, learning what that's like in motherhood and marriage and just the desire to grow in that myself, but invite women onto that journey as well. I love that. Now, my first initial question is you were literally by yourself in a cabin for three weeks. Yeah. So what I would do is I would, for all those days, for 21 days, each day I would visit a therapist counselor for an hour and then I'd go back to the cabin all by myself. I like the therapist counselor thing. I do not like to be by myself. Do you? And do you? No, I hated it. I still don't really <laughs> like it. I don't. So you, okay. I have so many questions. So (laughs) you can jokingly say you hated it. By what day did you think this is actually going to be good for me? 14. Okay. Two weeks in, one week to go. You finally came to the conclusion of this actually is going to be better for me than I thought. Yeah, I did. Wow. I think it was this moment. I mean, there's so much to it, but I think it's fear, right? We have Mm -hmm. so much fear and we have these things and people we're afraid of and actually turning to look at those things and people and those memories and some trauma. That's the scariest part to turn around and look at it. Mm -hmm. But then when you start to look at it and name it and identify it, that those things that are lions become like kitty cats. You know, Mm -hmm. it's the fear piece. And it took me about 14 days to not be scared of myself Mm. and not to be scared of God. So, you know, when you're saying that about, you know, kind of having to look head on and straight on to some things that have been really hard for us in life, previous to going on this 21 day retreat, I'm wondering if in your mind, you have convinced yourself it would just be easier to not have to deal with them. 
Am I right about that? Yeah. I think that a lot of people, they will stay there their entire lives. They will stay in that feeling of it will be harder to work through it. And so I'd like to hear from you, knowing that you have faced these giants, these lions that then turned out are just like little baby kitty cats after you name them and call them what they are. You've been on both sides. You've been in the, if I just don't face this, then I don't have to deal with it. You've sat and done the hard work still continuing to do hard work and things. And then now you're on the kind of on the other side of some of those things. What is the encouragement to someone who can't even see that there might be a light at the end of the tunnel of facing those fears and calling them out and going straight forward with them? Because it feels scary. It feels intimidating. It feels like you're going to get hurt all over again. What do you say to that girl? Yeah, I say take courage. And I think for most of us, we could say are not going to go on a 21 day isolated retreat. That's just not going to happen. But I think what we can start to see is that God is constantly inviting us into deeper places, always. And it's not necessarily, it doesn't have to be trauma, although I think we each have a trauma. I think there are these small ways and bigger ways and huge ways that God is always tapping at your heart. And I think to you or anyone listening, we know what, if I asked you, okay, Jamie, right now, is there something in your life that you're resistant to or avoiding? Sure. Yes. And so it's this paying attention to these little nudges and invitation God gives, gives us. And so I think an easy way to break it down for someone who's like, okay, okay. I want to start going into my heart. I want to start seeing what's in there. And one, we will never know the love of God in our heart unless we are able to go into our heart. So we wonder, what's that disconnect? Why do I know God loves me? But I don't feel God loves me. It's because you have to know your heart. Mm. And so I would say like, okay, pay attention to this one thing in your life of every day God gives you the invitation and it's usually through the gift of resistance. And so like, what is the thing that you are resistant to right now? Even a small way. Here is an example. And I'm going to ask you, like, Jamie, like, is there a moment like where you get a text message and it instantly triggers something? Anger or anxiety or irritation? Probably. Yeah, right? And I think in this moment of our the COVID-19, we all have these group text messages going, right? From family and friends. And we get a text message, right? It triggers, let's mm-hmm. just say, anxiety. Mm-hmm. And so... We have these strategies that we've created to deal with our feelings. At one might be, I'm going to put the phone down and just avoid it. Uh-huh, yeah. I'm avoid not it. Gonna, yeah. I'm not going to answer. Maybe it'll just go away if I don't. Yeah. Like uh-huh. you know? And yet this is, this is the sweet invitation for a woman who's saying, I want to start going on this journey is like, is open your heart to that resistance. Mm. God, why I instantly saw that and I'm afraid. What am I afraid of? And that becomes this pathway into communication with Jesus. Yeah. I can see that an example if I'm gonna, you know, just to bring my an example from my own life in here right now. When you were talking about that, something that made me think of was I can get angry at one of my kids, particularly when they do something. I'm not gonna call anybody out on the show, right? But when one of my kids does something it makes me abnormally angry. It doesn't make my husband as angry. I don't know that it would make you as angry, but it makes me just like boiling with anger. And I've had a couple of times 
basically, honestly, since we've been together so much during this self-quarantine is I've had a couple of moments of why is that that one thing that can make me so angry? And honestly, I haven't gone further with it, but that's what you're talking about. It's that invitation to sit in that and go, what is that? Why that? Why me? And then maybe, God, what do you have for me in staying here and talking about this? Completely. It's that it's stay with that anger instead of, right? Because your natural strategy, we have them all. We all have like habits that we've created instead of yelling, slamming a door, being silent, you know, all these strategies we have to deal with our hearts, to fix our hearts on our own capacity. It's saying, God, I don't know, but I am so angry right now in my family with this big text message going, like I have people who have totally different beliefs about the COVID-19. And so when I see these debates within my family, oh God, there I am again. I feel like I have to to be the peacemaker. Mm. I feel like I have to make sure my mom understands my sister and my sister doesn't say the wrong thing. It's like, oh God, I can't, it's, I can't, I can't solve the problems. You know, it's, it's wow staying with God as he stays with us. And he is the one tapping at our soul. There you go again, Angelie. Mm-hmm. Do you see how you're trying to control your mom or dad, you know, or yeah. fix the family problems? Yeah. I think even just acknowledging it is like, even just listening to you talking, it made me think about that particular example that I gave you and just even acknowledging it. If you don't know it, guys, I'm a Texas girl through and through. I've lived here most of my life. I was born here and I love traveling. Here's why I love traveling throughout Texas, because it has a vast landscape of cultures, regions, destinations, and activities, which means there's an infinite number of different travel experiences. And no two travelers are exactly alike. And it means that no two trips should be either. If you're a beach person, well, you can have fun under the sun with Texas's 350 miles of coastline. If you're more of a rugged vacation type, there are campgrounds, hiking trails, and state parks galore. And foodies cannot get enough of Texas's world famous barbecue and Tex-Mex. Enjoy live music, visit internationally recognized art museums, and check out thrilling cowboy experiences. And now, Travel Texas offers a -a one-of-a-kind online trip builder that allows users to generate a custom, visually-led trip matched to their unique interests. Guys, come visit my state. Visit TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn to get the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours. That's TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn. You guys, in January of 2024, I made a commitment to myself. I wanted to get stronger, which meant I needed to get in the gym, which means I needed to move my body in different ways. You guys know I love to walk. Well, it's spring, and spring is the best time for us to start a new workout routine. It's our yearly collective warm-up, and Peloton is here for everyone's yearly warm-up. This is the best time to get into a good rhythm, to tap into your power, and build towards your summer you. I love my Peloton. It accommodates to my schedule with a variety of class links to choose from. I can choose a 30-minute class. I can choose a 45-minute class. If you only have five minutes, there's literally a class to get you moving your body in five minutes. Peloton has a range of class types fit for every goal and every mood. There are classes if you want to hear country music, if you want to hear rock, if you want to go back to the 80s. If you can't run, take a walking class. Need some grounding? Try yoga. If you want to level up, go for their Pilates or HIIT workouts. 
Here's what I love is that you can move at your own pace. And that is what I'm learning that my body needs right now. It needs to move at its own pace. Peloton makes the process easier with personalized recommendations and guided programs that take all the guesswork out of working out. You guys, we think about so many things during the day. Let's take the guesswork out. Let's jump right in and let's keep our fitness journey fresh every single day. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. I personally love a good 45-minute hip-hop class. It gets me moving. It gets me excited. It's my favorite genre of music, just ask my kids. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. That's OnePeloton.com. If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. I want to read a little bit of your book to the listener, if that's okay. And I read, what do you have in here? Like what I love about your book is there's 21 chapters, which means they're smaller chapters, which are some of my favorite type of books to read because you can pick one up and read it, you know, in between something. And it's so great. So as I've been going through your book, I love your storytelling. I love the way you're bringing us in is to how you're talking about shame and you're talking motherhood and you're talking about, you know, following your dreams. And you tell the story about meeting about falling in love with your husband and all the things. But I want to go back to the very beginning because I think it sums up even what you were just talking about a little bit. So I want to read a couple paragraphs to you, even though you wrote it to the listener. Here we go. I read this last week and it actually made me pause and think, and here we go. Imagine for a moment you were alone. No books, no Netflix, no counter sorely decorated with dishes, no phone. Imagine there's quiet. The longer you sit, the more you feel. The silence is scary. The argument with your spouse bubbles up to the surface. The sarcastic comment your friend made days ago still hurts. The loneliness you feel in motherhood slices open a shameful hole. Your longings begin to rise. The guilt over not being fully present with your kids rubs you. The loss of a loved one aches. The guilt for not being further along in your spiritual life stings. That opening paragraph of your book, I thought, sums up so many people and where you are. I'm going to keep going. It says this, the longer you sit, the more your memories take you back to years ago. The anger of your father makes your chest tighten. And the neighborhood boy who teased you incessantly stirs up feelings of embarrassment. All these complicated memories and feelings make you want to jump up, reply to texts, or reach for a wine glass. But for a moment, stay. Imagine the very places you want to fix, avoid, get swallowed in, power through, shout Bible verses at, stuff or run from are actually the very way to wholeness. Imagine instead of getting up to investigate what is under the couch or neurotically tidying the mail, you let all those feelings rise. You let them come up to the surface to breathe. You open your heart, talk to Jesus, find love. Imagine God is inviting you to follow these feelings. Imagine if you could stay with all those unfinished places within your soul and story and let them become your pathway to freedom. I'm going to do one more paragraph. Gosh, here I go. (laughs) I'm going to read your whole book for the podcast. Here we go. Women's hearts are dying right there in the middle pew of our church sanctuaries. Our souls are slowly slipping away. It's a vicious pull between doing more and drowning. Life feels like a stirring of constant disappointments, unpleasant surprises in marriage, friendships dissolving, miscarriages, 
postpartum depression, months on end with little appreciation, almost no sleep. Our hearts are being wrung out to dry, squeezed and yanked in every direction. Somewhere between signing up for ministry events, checking homework, and making it out of Costco alive, the heart is completely missed, undervalued, and unknown. We walk and move while years go by, and we wonder what happened to the person we once knew. A fog rolls in slowly and silently. We live on the surface, somehow just surviving. Those opening paragraphs to your book are powerful at meeting a lot of women right where they are. And I think that your personal stories that you walk us through are encouraging because what you're asking the reader to do is really, really scary. And I think that what you do so beautifully in your book is walk through what this has looked like for you in your life. And so I want to ask you about a couple of different things about that you write about in here about staying. And the first one I want to kind of talk about is motherhood. You tell a story about a woman offering to help you with your kids. And spoiler alert, you said no. But the reason you said no really stuck out to me and I really related to it. You said no because you were worried about her knowing you. You were worried about her knowing what type of mother you might be, whatever that is, whatever, however you would classify yourself. You were worried about those things. And let's talk about how did you get past that? Because I think that you could insert motherhood with anything. And we do this with our whole lives. And so what did that process look like for you, Angelia, of actually saying it's okay for me to let someone in to see the real me? It's scary. When I think the underlying theme even from that intro and even into motherhood is vulnerability. And I think there's no other way to love except through vulnerability. There's no other way to be known and loved except for vulnerability. And so when this sweet woman came into my life, she said, I want to help you. And my goodness, I like was dying for help. I was just struggling and so like on the verge of depression and just lonely, so lonely. And so, but I was so scared that she would see like my messy house and that she would see my strategies of survival, which were not glamorous. It was not, you know, sitting down and teaching my kids how to read and do math problems with marbles. It was snacks and screen time, you know? And so my goodness, the fear of someone seeing that was so terrifying. And yet she kept saying like, no, I want to help. You're not alone. Like this is what everyone goes through. And um, allowing kind of taking the mask off Mm -hmm. and letting someone inside to see my messy pantry and her loving me and not being scared and saying, yeah, I've been there. We all have allowed me to keep opening up my messy pantry to friends and to family members, you know, and it's um, scary, but it was like that risk that vulnerability is to say, this is who I really am. Mm. I think that when you're talking about that, and we, I said this earlier, you could fill in the blank with anything. You talked about that risk of letting someone in and, you know, to really be known, you need vulnerability. And I think about that even with friendships with women as we grow older. I mean, I've said, what I'm about to say, I've said a thousand times is that I thought when I was a young teenager and in my early twenties, that friendships would be the easiest thing in my life once I got older. And I've come to find out that they've been harder, uh, not necessarily because of like mean girls or, I mean, there might be some of that, but I don't have time for that in my life. I'll tell you that much, but they've been harder for me because of time and want, not wanting to 
to let people see my real self um, because there becomes this idea that if I let them into what I'm feeling or what I'm struggling with in my life, then they're going to leave me. And so you said, I wrote it down, there's no other way to love and to be known than through vulnerability. And so with friendships, you know, that is something that I think we're going to have to figure out all of our days. What does that look like for you with your friends as to be truly known and truly loved? You have to be vulnerable with them. Well, I think it's helpful to one, have you heard this before where friendships identifying and categorizing them by the rooms in your house? Mm-mm, tell me. Oh, it's like my favorite thing ever. Okay, tell me. Will, be prepared. It might change your life and fix every friendship problem you've ever had. No, but it's really helpful to identify friendships. And I do that. What helps me is by rooms in my house. So like I have my front porch friends and these are like my acquaintances. They might be my kids' friends, parents, Mm -hmm. you know, see them friendly. They might not come into my house, but I'm not opposed to it either. And then you have like your kitchen friends who like, they know where your silverware is. They know how to put on hot water. They might even do your dishes, but you could even, they'll jump on the counter and eat salsa with you. And then you have like your master bedroom friends. And these are your people. These are your inner circle. They know that they can open your closet and wear anything that they want. They can put on your shoes, you know? You can have a messy bed. And I think for me, it's been really helpful to identify like these are my master bedroom friends and I'm going to share them and tell them anything. And they've, they've walked through the kitchen and the dining room and the hallway. So they deserve, they are trustworthy for me to show them everything, but I'm not going to show a dining room friend like my inner secrets. And so I think it's helped me to kind of categorize friendships like that and be like, Oh yeah, you know what? You did something and it didn't work out. So now you might be actually back to the front porch. (laughs) Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. It gives you kind of space to where you don't feel that you need to, because this is what I've seen too, Angela, and you can tell me if this is true, is I talk a lot about vulnerability as well. And a lot of people feel super scared by that because they think I just have to tell everything to everybody. And I'm like, that could be further from the truth. No, you don't need to find that. your people, do like that. your people that you can be vulnerable with. And that's not everybody in your life. And so that's a good example of how to know who falls into that category. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And how to transition, you know, it's like, all right, we're, this is scary friend. We are going from the kitchen to the bedroom. You know, it doesn't happen automatically. It's just slow and building trust and reliability that they are who they say they are and that we are who we say we are. Mm -hmm. And that just takes a lot of nurture. Yeah. You know, I heard you, you told me that one thing that you have walked through and dealt with, and I'd love to talk about this because I think not only myself, but a lot of listeners have probably felt this. And and I think that we talked about coping mechanisms a while ago. This could even be a coping mechanism that someone could be dealing with while we're walking through this unknown in our in our country and our world is tell me that you feel a little less angry now in your life than before. What does that feel like for you? And what does that look like to be able to say that? And how have you walked through to get on the other side of where you are today with that? Anger for me is not an easy thing to feel. I'm curious about you. Like I would much rather feel sad than Mm -hmm. anger. And so for me, it's really been creating space for me to be angry and process that anger. I'm like, what am I really angry about? What am I actually sad about? Mm. And it takes me a lot more courage to be angry than it is to be sad. But, you know, I think it's really been for me identifying when I'm pushing and hustling and running, 
it's like there's a person on, there's um, an identity on the other side of that. So for me, I don't want to be late to school drop-off because you know what? I want all the other moms at school drop-off to be like, she is so on it. She has five kids and look at her. She is, she even has her hair done. She has her Starbucks. I mean, she, she's on it. And so I'm trying to live up to someone else's expectations of what being a good quote unquote mom is. And so, but my kids are really slowing me down, you know, so I have got, they have got to step it up so that I can keep up with that persona. And it's like really, again, that, that staying with God, there I am again. I am trying to win the approval of people to make me feel secure and safe inside. So would you be angry at your kids in that moment? Or would you be sad that they were messing up your mojo of not looking good in front of all the other moms? I would probably in that moment immediately feel anger, okay. but I would get rid of that anger as fast as I can. You don't like probably, to feel it. No, no, no. So it'd probably result more in like a, it would turn into self-pity or self-loathing before Interesting. I would. Yeah. Because when you said something, you said, I don't like to be angry. I'd rather choose sad over anger. It got me thinking, well, I don't know what I would choose. And I don't know that I've ever thought that I'm making a choice. I just thought I would make, if I'm going to use the scenario you just used, I'd be angry that my kids were making me late. And I don't think I would ever get past the anger. I mean, I would get past it. You know what I mean? But I wouldn't say I'm going to move on to sadness here. So I find that so very interesting that that is the emotions that you would go through in those moments. Yeah. Yeah. What is, is anger easier for you? I'm not an angry person. I mean, I'm going to spill all my cards here. Not many things can make me angry, but I feel like I can get angry with my children. And that feels so awful, you know, to say out loud. I have my friend Tiffany, we would say all the time that she would always say that she's a much better mom than she is wife. And we weren't trying to categorize ourselves because I don't enjoy doing like good mom, bad mom stuff. We weren't doing that. Her point and my point in having that conversation was it's easier for her to show grace to her children than it is to her husband. And I am the exact opposite. It's really easy for me to show grace to Aaron versus my four kids. And I've done a lot of counseling with that. There's some deep stuff. We don't have time in the day to get through why that is, but there is a reason there. But I find myself when I get angry with my kids, like you said, it's not that they've even done anything that terribly wrong. It's just, it's bringing up something in me that has always been there that now they are the ones that are helping highlight it. Should you say? Yeah, totally. I think Sadly, for me, I think it comes down to even the good mom, bad mom, you know, Mm -hmm. or labels or these deep beliefs. Like I have this deep belief, who knows, I I have it, it came from someone and it's that, oh, a good mom is on time Mm -hmm. or a good mom cooks dinner or a good mom doesn't work, you know? And, and so we're always like, it triggered, you know, our, that's the, the power of staying. It's like, oh oh, I'm still doing that. I'm still mm-hmm. trying to f- do a self-fulfilling good mom. Mm. And as we, as God, God does this, the Holy Spirit just peels these layers back again and again. And that's where we can't outrun the Spirit. He will keep, even if we are the fastest, most amazing runners and avoiders, like the love of God is stronger and more powerful. We'll keep knocking on that table and that door of your soul and reveal those things, those deep beliefs. And we get there a lot of times by following and staying with our feelings. 
which is hard. And you've answered a lot of my questions with the beginning words of it's really scary. And I think that that is really, really scary. And I'm guessing that you've done some counseling throughout your lifetime. Yes. I was going to say too. So I um, still do. Uh, I I just want to encourage anyone that's listening that feels like maybe they, you and I are further along. I have so far to go. I mean, I, I have so far to go, but I can never recommend counseling enough to get in and talk with someone about where these things are from. And, you know, you, you said that still struggling with that good mom equals this, yeah. uh, or we could do good wife equals this, or a good worker equals this, a good college student, a good daughter. I mean, we could fill in the blank with every identity that we take on in our lifetimes that we should look this way. And I um, think that a good practice is to even write down what are the things that you are believing that a good mom should be, you know, and then define on the flip side of that, the identity that God gives us and how we are chasing after him. And just to be able to see that we have all of these self-imposed ideas of what a good mom is. And this is something you can do too with your kids. Angela, I was walking with my oldest the other day. He's 16. And I said, hey, buddy, do you think I'm a good mom? And he was like, well, yeah, of course. And I said, well, what does a good mom do? And he said, well, a good mom is kind and a good mom listens to me and a good mom. And he listed all of these traits and none of them were actually things that I could do. They were all like gifts from the Holy Spirit is maybe I should say it that way. And so it was encouraging to me that the things he listed were the things that that would equal gifts that God gives his people. And I loved it so much. It was encouraging. Yes. No. And I remember I asked my six-year-old this one time, I said, what's a good mom? And she said, you. And it was just that reminder of like, that's all they want. They just want me. They just want me. And then my oldest would probably just say, when you take me to McDonald's. Yes. I mean, of course. Yeah. But when you do this for me, yes. I will take you for breakfast, lunch, and dinner then. I know, whatever you want. I also had this moment the other day. Is your would you call your husband the fun parent? Because there's always one. I kind or is of it think you? I'm the fun parent. See, that's good. Good for you. I have another friend in my life who is the fun parent as the mom. And my husband's definitely the fun parent. He's the yes parent. He is like the one that says, I'm the one that has the schedule on the kitchen. And if if this doesn't work, the whole thing falls apart. But all this to say is I felt like, God, Aaron's a fun dad. And I'm the one that has to figure out the computer schedule so we can get all of our work done during this like homeschool time. But one of my kids the other day said, mom, if you didn't do that, nothing would happen around the house. And I was like, you know what? That is exactly right. I'm bringing my gifts to the table, people. I'm bringing my gifts to the table. Yeah. Well, and I think we do that all the time, right? Especially with social media. That's what triggers so much of our own jealousy or anxiety is like, oh, maybe I should be building some rocket with my child in the backyard. You know, it's like, no, you just show up. You just keep being you. Like God gave you those kids for a reason. And it's, don't, don't worry. Don't worry about what they're doing over there. Just keep your eyes on the people in front of you and do what you need to do with them. Angela, I am um, a fan of your work. Stay came out at the end of March. And I am just so encouraged by, 
the words that you write and hear and the way that you bring us in and the way that you talk to us about guilt and fear and shame and love and vulnerability and hope and all of the things that you walk through in this book. So thank you so much. I know it took a lot of courage to write, and I know it's going to bless a lot of women. In fact, I told someone I was interviewing you and they said they read your book this weekend. So yay. I know. I know. So exciting. Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. What can you bring to the table for us of what you're loving and what you're reading? Can I just say what I'm reading first is, I don't know if you read up the Mockingbird blog. No, tell me more. Oh, it's so good. I mean, because there's just not a lot of time to read right now. I just, there are these really wonderful blog posts where it integrates entertainment, music, what you're watching on TV with spirituality. So it, it takes a spin on like what is happening on the Netflix show. So it's just, I love it. It's just a simple dose of how do I look at the world and what I'm already using and how is I God love that. I'm super obsessed with this show, The Last Kingdom. What is this? I don't know. It's so good. It's so good. I mean, you have to kind of love like the brave heart kind of stuff. Okay. Like, are you okay with heads chopping off? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, The occasional affair, you know, just the bad guy, good guy. But it's like Vikings and conquering the world, basically. Where do you watch it? What is it on? Netflix. Season Netflix. four comes out next next week. Okay, you're in. You're ready. You can binge watch it now and be ready for season four. Okay. The Last Kingdom? The Last Kingdom. Got it. Got it. So good. So good. Are y'all watching anything as a family? Do y'all do that? Yeah. Well, you know, with the age gap, it's a little tricky. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. But most of the time, my two-year-old doesn't watch anything anyway. So we're doing Disney+. Plus. I know we have that too. You know, what we're watching as a family is the voice and Songland. I know they've been around the voice like 28 seasons or whatever, but Songland's fairly new and we love them and it's good for family. It's musical. My kids love it. My husband likes it. So we like both of those. Songland might be my favorite. Yeah. So really good. Angelie, thank you so much for joining me today. Really, really appreciate it. Love the way that you are really encouraging women to stay with their aches and their pains because you're telling us and you're showing us the way that God meets us in those moments. And that can be scary and it can be uncomfortable, but the fruit that's on the other side of it is worth that, that pruning process that God would take us to. And so thank you so much. Yeah, 100%. I'm just so, I think there's this idea of staying where it doesn't require being locked down in a cabin, but while you're doing dishes, while you're making dinner, like just be attentive to your soul and open your heart to God. It's in some ways it's as easy as drinking water. Mm. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Today's show was edited and mixed by the team at Podshaper and the music was developed for the show by Matt Graham. Show notes are written by Quinn Pearson and the whole thing is organized by Lindsay Sweeney. Next week, my guest is a sweet woman named Jill. 
You guys know that I launched a Bible study in April called Your Story Matters. I told you about it at the beginning of this show, but what I haven't shared with you is that in the midst of our private Facebook group, a woman named Jill felt led to invite whomever was interested to join her in discussing the study each week. I cannot wait for you to hear from Jill about why she did that, how that group transformed her life, and what that group has looked like and how they've developed a friendship. And you guys, they're still meeting. I love it so much. It's a very, very inspiring story. Friends, enjoy your week. Share the show with a friend. Have our virtual happy hour with a friend. I'll see you guys back here next week with my guest, Jill. Jill.